What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And hi, everybody. Welcome to The Exchange. It's a big day for the country and for the markets as we await the results of the presidential election. Crucial swing states have yet to be called. Both candidates still searching for their path to 270. But stocks are absolutely surging. Tech taking the lead. The Nasdaq's up more than 4% right now. Dow's up 2.6%. S&P's up 3.2%. That's a 715-point rally for the Dow. The small-cap Russells, they're hanging in there with a third, uh, three-quarters of 1% gain. Here are the highlights. Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft all jumping higher today. You can see those gains for Alphabet, 6.5%. For Facebook, more than 8% this afternoon. We'll have more on that later. Healthcare, though, is the leadership. United Health, Merck, Amgen, and Cigna are all jumping. United Health, which is in the Dow, is now up 11%. That's contributing well more than 100 points to the Dow's gain. Uber and Lyft are also soaring. California voting for Prop 22, a huge win for that space. They spent a ton of dough on it. Uber's up 12% today, Lyft up 8%, building on the rallies we've already seen. No sell the news effect here today. Not participating, take a look at the banks, some of the worst names in the S&P right now. The sector lower as yields have absolutely plunged since their overnight highs. The regional bank ETF broadly down about 5%. Well, let's get you caught up on the electoral map at this hour. NBC News is projecting Joe Biden wins three of the four electoral votes in Maine. That brings the electoral count to 227 for Biden right now and 213 for Trump. But of course, we still have eight state races yet to be called and they're biggies. Several of them are in critical battleground states like Georgia. In Georgia, Trump leads Biden by nearly 90,000 votes. Officials say they have 200,000 absentee ballots left to count. And Wisconsin remains too close to call. But officials say nearly all the votes there have been counted. Philip Bowe is in Milwaukee for us, and he's got more on this very tight race. Phil? Kelly, we've got a couple of breaking news developments. One from the Trump campaign we'll tell you about in just a little bit, calling for a recount. But first, over the last half hour, we have listened to the Wisconsin Elections Commission defend the election yesterday. And let's show you what the vote totals are. And again, at this point, NBC News is saying this is a race that is too close to call. So nobody is being declared a winner here, either by NBC News, other media organizations, or by the state of Wisconsin. But they do show, at least as they tabulate the votes, that Joe Biden is ahead by a little over 20,000 votes. And within the last half hour, we heard from the Wisconsin Elections Commission, and they got asked point blank, what do you say to people who say uh, this doesn't smell right? It, it looked a little suspicious that Biden jumped ahead at the last second. Here's what they had to say about the, the honesty and integrity of the election. Despite more absentee ballots, the evening proceeded in a very normal fashion. Our election was executed with precision, and it's also... You know, every step of the process is publicly observable. So what happens now? And we showed you some of these absentee and early ballots that were being processed last night here in the city of Milwaukee. Municipalities will start canvassing and certifying their election results this afternoon. They then report it to their respective counties. The counties then have until uh, a little bit later on this month 
to report them to the state. And then starting on December 1st, the state will then do a canvas where it begins certifying the results. Despite the state saying that there is nothing, nothing at all that was wrong with this election, the Trump campaign out with a statement within the last five minutes, essentially saying we want a recount. And by the way, they are within 1% of the uh, total, so they are entitled to call for a recount. The head of the campaign saying there have been reports of irregularities in several Wisconsin counties which raise serious doubts about the validity of the results. The president is well within the threshold to request a recount, and we will immediately do so. So the bottom line is this, Kelly. Right now, the race is too close to call, and it looks like, as many people have predicted, we're headed to not only a recount, but likely some legal challenges over the next several weeks. So, Phil, let's talk about the prospect of a recount for a moment. I know you, we haven't done a lot of reporting on this yet, but yeah. uh, if that's the case, do you have any idea what kind of time frame we're looking at? I don't. Uh, the uh, Election Commission was asked about the process, and they said there is a, you know, a defined process that happens for all recounts, and that it begins by going through the results on a city and county level and then going through the results on a statewide level. Uh, and that, obviously, according to the Trump campaign, that's what they want to see. So we'll see that play out here over the next several weeks. But at this point, the state of Wisconsin is targeting December 1st. That's the deadline that they've had in there for months as to when they begin certifying their results. Obviously, we'll see if that gets changed at all, given the fact that the Trump campaign wants a recount. December 1st. Okay, we'll see if we keep talking about those kinds of deadlines at this point. It wouldn't be a surprise. Phil, appreciate it very, very much. Phil Bowes in Wisconsin for us with the latest this hour. Stick with CNBC for our ongoing election coverage all day. It does continue right here. Meanwhile, stocks continue to soar despite all of this election uncertainty. The major average is rebounding for a third straight day with the S&P and NASDAQ having their best day in months. All the sectors, uh, except the materials, are green. So what's it all about? Let's bring in Brian Belsky. He's chief investment strategist for BMO Capital Markets. And Kamal Kumar is president of Kumar Global Strategies. CNBC senior markets commentator Michael Santoli joins us as well. It's great to have you guys all here. Um, Mike, I guess I'll kick it off with you because what, what is your thinking this hour? I mean, the, the market has been a, a strange animal to kind of to describe all session. Even looking at some of the names this morning, the Vulcans, the Martin Mariettas that were down 10 percent, they're yeah. now only down 5 percent. Materials are still lagging. I mean, what, what is moving the needle here? I think first off, it is the conclusion almost instantly that uh, the market was leaning in the direction of a possible blue wave, and they've had to run that trade in reverse to a large degree. Now, what did that mean over the past few weeks? It meant bond yields running higher. There was this idea that there was going to be a big fiscal push and reflation. And the economy was going to perhaps accelerate as a result of all that under Biden and perhaps a Democratic Senate. Uh, that seems to be not in the cards at the moment. And what that means, too, is the rotation that had taken place from large cap growth stocks like tech into cyclicals and value stocks is now just being unwound to some degree. And it seems as if that low yield, low growth, pay a big premium for large growth stocks environment that we were familiar with in the last decade and also earlier this year has just kicked in again. And it just shows you, I think, the, the drama of the magnitude of the move showed you uh, that perhaps the market was a little bit wrong footed with regard to the mix of stocks that might benefit from what we think might be the result here. And Brian, I want to pick up on that point because, you know, people have been hammering the polls for being so wrong. But 
The market itself had kind of the same conclusion. I mean, look at some of the big shifts we're seeing in healthcare names today and other uh, parts of the market most affected by the blue wave that had to some extent been priced in. Are you surprised that, uh, you know, and I don't know, I'm not, I'm not saying they were quite as bad as the polling industry, but they shouldn't get a pass here. I like how you say it. I don't know. I think there's a lot of that going on, quite frankly. And so much, thank you so much for having us. I mean, you know, let's be blunt. The market has been all over the place with respect to its emotions and how to position this, Kelly. And I think Mr. Santoli's spot on with respect to the, the prospects of a blue wave and what that would do. And I think there was a tug of war, quite frankly, Kelly, between uh, the, the, the likelihood of a larger stimulus package uh, in terms of, of Blue Wave and what would happen on the tax implications for dividends, for cap gains, for personal taxes, for corporate taxes. And I think, you know, again, you're going to hear a lot and it's going to get tiring about gridlock is good. But if either man uh, wins here, you're going to have gridlock regardless. And so I think the key thing is, is that you want to buy scarcity and sell capacity. Well, what's capacity? Volatility, uncertainty, What's, uh, what's scarcity? Growth. When growth is scarce, growth outperforms. And I think you want to stick with secular growth, structural growth, and cyclical growth. But more importantly, the certainty of the fundamental business models of these tech stocks, of these communication services stocks that really define the mobile society and the stay-at-home society were strong before COVID and really during the depths of COVID. And they're going to continue to be strong. And that's why these stocks are up. You know, that I, I, this is something that I'm a little flummoxed by today, Shri. I mean, you have, you have the 10-year yield and bond yields generally sinking pretty precipitously from their overnight highs. Granted, we're only back at levels from about two weeks ago. We're talking about, you know, 75 basis points on 10s, maybe a percent and a half or thereabouts on 30s. And on that prospect, it's, well, we're going to get a smaller fiscal stimulus package, and, and so it's not as growth-friendly, and you name it. But, Shri, I'm surprised that if, that's re- if that concern is really that large, that stocks are doing as well as they are. Does that make any sense to you? It makes what's happening today in the markets makes eminent sense to me, Kelly. And I think you said it very well in your morning note when you talked about whether the pollsters alone were wrong or whether the markets were wrong. In this case, the markets got it wrong as well. They expected a blue wave. They thought that that would cause the bond yields to surge with an increase in spending. Uh, Yes, there was going to be an increased uh, set of regulation if the Democrats had all three branches of government under control. And today they have decided it is going to be a divided government that is going to be more of a gridlock in terms of decision making. And let us look at why the markets got it are getting it right. At least temporarily, the equities are surging, thinking that Democrats are not winning all three branches is positive. They are looking for the fact that capital gains tax will not increase and you do not have to sell your stocks in 2020 rather than 2021 or later. That is causing the prices to go up on the equity side. On the bond side, I was surprised last night when I was watching the Asian markets and the 10-year yield went to 94 basis points and I thought it was not sustainable. But I was surprised to see the extent of decline And now I think the 10-year yield is headed much further down because not only are you going to have the impact of a lack of enormous fiscal spending taking place, assuming the Senate remains in Republican hands, you're also going to see that all the gridlock and not having a decision 
December or probably even into January is going to have its impact, I think, on further lower bond yields. Lastly, look at not only the 10-year bond yield, but also the 2 to 10-year bond yield spread. And that has collapsed overnight from 76 basis points in Asia uh, beginning of uh, this morning to 62 basis points right now, 63 basis points. Mm -hmm. And that again says that the bond market is clearly looking for lower pace of economic growth, not too much of inflation and a gridlock. And that is again a trifecta of uh, events pushing the bond yield down and probably further. Well, I think that's... That's very well stated. So, Mike, let me kind of phrase the question on my mind differently to you, which is for everything that Shri and Brian have just described, lower growth environment, then is today's uh, kind of leap in the stock market sustainable? You know, can we have a rising stock market and low growth and low bond yields? And yes, I know we've had that yeah. for the past, you know, however many years. But I mean, from here on out, does it have to be that the market market gains are much more muted to match the lower bond yields or that bond yields rise a little bit to match the optimism that we're seeing in equities? Well, first of all, I'll go out of a limb and say we're not going to go up 3% every day in the S&P 500 from here. So this is a little <laughs> bit of a grab right now. And also, just look at why the S&P is up so much when the average stock is really not advancing quite as much. It is because of the huge index weights of the mega cap growth stocks. So those were the names when Actually, the economy was struggling a little bit more. They, because of their own dynamics, had been managing to keep the indexes supported. So that formula works on some level. I would just caution and say, I'm not ready to extrapolate this trend out from here. I don't know that this is the new character of this market. And if you go back two months, the small caps are still outperforming the NASDAQ 100. So it's not as if this has been up, up, and away. This has been much more a course correction relative to where the market's been traveling over the last couple of months. Kelly, I would... Fair enough. So, Brian, let me leave it with... One second, Brian, let me just get Brian in here before we all have to move along, which is, you know, we mentioned, Brian, you like the kind of growth names, tech names, the scarcity plays and and all of that. Um, But what happens if we fast forward a couple months time, we have some kind of COVID relief package, even if it's not as big as we originally thought. The economy keeps humming. You know, is it possible that all of these plays, which people are walking away from right now, could actually be relatively attractive into an economy in 2021, end of 21, early 22? It's a great question, and that really speaks to the broadening out of fundamental strength, which actually would be very, very good for equities in general. We would probably advise at that point, when we see that uh, from a fundamental perspective, uh, to be neutralizing those positions and broadening out into the more economic-sensitive things when confidence is built with respect to a, a vaccine and when we start to see broader earnings growth, which we actually do think will be a reality, especially the second half of 2021. Kelly, if I could... uh, Three apologies. Go ahead. Real quickly, sir. Very quickly. I think going with what you asked about what market is correct, I think the equities market is overdone, but I think the bond market is getting right as it has done with past recessions. And the equities will follow the bond trend and then correct rather than the bond yields rise. All right. Gentlemen, thank you all. Kamal Shri Kumar, Brian Belsky, Michael Santoli talking us through these market moves today. Really, really appreciate it. Well, let's turn now and dig a little deeper into the election results, or at least what we know about them so far. 
What do they mean for prospects of another stimulus package? What about taxes and trade? And what happens if we're heading for more recounts? Here to break it all down, Stephanie Miller is Managing Director of Fiscal Note Markets, and CNBC contributor Tony Fratto is founding partner at Hamilton Place Strategies and former White House Deputy Press Secretary under President George W. Bush. Tony, first of all, which food choices do you most regret last night? <laughs> it, was the late, it was the very, very late 3 a.m. chicken pot pie, Kelly, that really... I think did me in. <laughs> Frozen, <laughs> I was just especially emptying the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, I was just emptying the refrigerator at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you, because we've been having this ongoing debate with the two of you over uh, prospects for another stimulus package. Probably still a top question to markets. I just saw one note that says they think we're going to have skinny stimulus, fat Fed. You know, the Fed's going to be more important. We're kind of back to that paradigm. Tony, uh, Speaker McConnell left open the possibility of a, a package in comments just a short while ago. What do you think is most feasible now? Yeah, I think that was our view. I think we needed to get through the election. We, we had hoped that we'd have it uh, a lot sooner. You know, like we don't know what's going to happen in these states. We do, you know, when we look back, we're going to say because of the razor thin uh, nature of some of these states as to whether they had dropped a few trillion dollars on this economy a couple months ago, whether uh, Trump would be in a much better position. But uh, they decided to go to, to put it off. Uh, and we expect to see a skinny bill and then come back in the new year and uh, and do more. And that was our case before. And I think we think that's most likely now, given where the uh, the electoral outcome is headed. How skinny? What would that include? P you know, some PPP, uh, some uh, test and trace, uh, uh, you know, some money for uh, for schools, uh, you know, so those pieces of it, I think, are the, are probably the most important elements. Uh, we'll see whether Speaker McConnell wants to hold out for, uh, you know, language on liability uh, protection or whether he, you know, puts that into the future. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll see on that. But I think those are the elements to just get through the end of the year. Oh, and, and some uh, additional plus stop uh, unemployment insurance as well. Stephanie, would you agree with kind of that possibility? Or do you kind of see a different uh, way of things playing out here? So to me, the biggest still unknown variable is who's going to be in the White House. If Trump wins re-election and Republicans hold on to the Senate, which seems very likely on the Senate side, it's where we're headed, then there's two things I think that would compel a near-term stimulus package and having that be probably about $500 billion. The first is that there's no re need to wait till the new year because the status quo will be the shape of the government, so you don't have negotiating leverage if you're waiting until you have more power in, in one area or the other. The second is that Republicans made a very active choice over the last few months not to acquiesce on their, their belief that stimulus should be not, not as large as Democrats, $3.5 trillion, but much closer to $500 billion. And so if Republicans have just pulled off this amazing feat. No one, including Republicans, was expecting it last night to go so well for Republicans in the Senate and in the House. And so they, they're now starting with this mandate that, you know, telling them the decisions, the political decisions that they've made to, to date are the right ones, they're what people want. Otherwise, they would not have been winning all these, these uh, Senate, House mm -hmm. races. So it seems very likely that the size is going to need to be significantly scaled back. And Stephanie, there's so much you know more to this, but 
Just the one other issue that we're going to be focused on for the next few weeks, and it relates to all this, obviously, is these recounts. Anything you think investors need to know about the pace in which uh, these recounts play out, um, kind of how that could change the calculus here in the weeks ahead? Yeah, I mean, the court cases, the litigation, the recounts, it does argue for us not to have an answer on the election for, for weeks. And so while the election outcome is in sort of this holding pattern, I don't see either side being interested in trying to pass policy when they're not sure whether they will have more negotiating leverage in the future. And, you know, just before coming on here, there was a hearing in a court case about the U.S. Postal Service, and it was unearthed that almost 14,000 ballots that were mailed were stuck at a Postal Service site. So I think we're going to start learning about some things that are ripe for new litigation that we didn't even know about before. And it just argues for this to not necessarily be resolved anytime soon. Tony, you agree with that as we go? Yeah, I do. I think I think this is going to go long. I was talking to uh, officials in Pennsylvania uh, yesterday, and we'll see where the numbers end up and how you know how close it is. But uh, they are definitely going to be uh, you know executing some uh, some challenges. These anomalies, like um, you know uh, you know, uh, you know collections of votes, uh, questions about how certain ballots are filled out. This is for the presidency. Um, it's involving you know five or six states. They're going to be they're very narrow. And uh, and they're going to fight for it. And that's, you know, I think we would see that's regardless of who is trailing and who is leading. Uh, and we're going to go probably well into uh, the, the end of November uh, and maybe early December before we get answers on this. Yeah. Stock up on the chicken pot pies. <laughs> we're going to need them. Stephanie Miller. Thank you both today. Uh, beginning of a very long journey, perhaps. Uh, coming up, the Latino vote, one of the big surprises last night, tipping the scales for the Republicans. We'll discuss that next in the implications. Plus, tech is surging across a number of industries in the market today, from the chips to big tech, the social names. Is this a one-day move, or is the tech trade back on? And it's a big move for the healthcare and insurers today as Republicans look to keep the Senate. Is it too late to buy these names? We will ask. And as we head to break, here's a look at the home builders hired today. We talked about low rates. Well, guess what? Mortgage rates also at record lows, both for Jumbo and FHA. You've got KB Home up 6%, Horton up 7 We're back in a couple. This is... The Exchange on CNBC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. 
Let's get a check on some of the gambling stocks. They are higher today following the legalization of sports betting across several more states. Penn National Gaming up nearly 8%. It's still, by the way, off 20% from its year high of $76 or so. DraftKings is up 5% right now, but it's still down nearly 40% from its high of about $64. And Caesars also getting a nice bump. It's up more than 3% today. Uh, that year high for the stock was over $70, so we're still off about 25% from that level. And as we look to the battleground states, as those results continue to come in, they're busy with the slow and steady work of counting the remaining votes. Vice President Biden is still in the lead with 227 electoral votes officially, President Trump trailing behind with 213. But he did win the key swing states of Texas and especially Florida last night. Let's zoom in on the, sh on the Sunshine State. One of the biggest surprises was how close the margin of Miami-Dade County was, which experts are attributing to unexpected support for Trump among Latino voters. Perhaps it's time for pollsters to dispel the myth of the Latino vote as being this monolith. With us now is Julia Ricardo Valera. He is founder of Latino Rebels and co-host of the podcast In the Thick. Uh, Julia, it's great to have you. And I mean, I know we're going to kind of de- uh, what's the word? Decompose this. <laughs> we're going to break it down in multiple different ways break here. Break it down. Talk, yeah, yeah. talk about the Cubans. <laughs> yes. Talk about the Cubans versus the Puerto Ricans and so on and so forth. But if you look at the, th the three states, at least we're voting as fully complete. You know, the Cuban turnout was 13 points higher for Trump. Uh, the Hispanic vote, broadly speaking, was 11 points higher. So there's undeniably something real going on here. And what is that? Is it about the economy? No, it's actually about Donald Trump, the Donald Trump campaign, actually doing what political campaigns do, invest in the communities. One of the things that people, this wasn't unexpected. I mean, if you're a Latino political journalist or someone who follows the community, I mean, I was calling this uh, way before it became something in vogue. But take the example of Miami-Dade. Ever since Trump won in 2016, there has been money put into that district. They, they have really looked at Florida as they had to win it. And, you know, you take you take the historical pattern of you know, a third of the Latino electorate nationally or even Florida, you know, when you look at the, the Cuban vote in Florida, it's it, it, it skews Republican. So so basically that investment, it's it's good old fashioned political outreach, messaging, campaigning, culturally relevant, culturally relevant uh, ads saying, you know, fear of socialism. It's very, very, very effective for that voter. And the Trump campaign knew the voter they needed to get and they got them. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, people are who have direct experience with what you're warning about are probably a pretty receptive audience to being warned against uh, it coming here. Are, are you saying, though, that, that Miami, that the Cuban vote is an outlier for the Latino vote in general? Yeah, this single note Florida thing is is over. I'm sorry. It's 2020. One of the things I want to direct people to, um, if you notice, if you go out to the West and the Southwest right now, what's blue? New Mexico, Arizona, California, Nevada, when it's called Colorado, Oregon, Washington State. It's a mostly Mexican-American, Mexican voting uh, block. It is moving more and more into the blue. You know, Arizona is a huge, huge win for Democrats. I mean, the fact that Arizona is being called as, as, as the Biden camp by several outlets, um, it speaks to the fact that you, there's never been a, a unified Latino vote. It was, it's never been a monolith. I've been screaming it from the mountaintops ever since I've been a journalist, back in journalism for 15 years. And, and what you're seeing now is this western, southwestern blue wall, where the middle of that wall is Texas, which is still as purple as it can be. 
Right. So now I guess, Julio, the question is, I, if we look at through the results and we say, you know, what is the coalition uh, that we can count on for everything from the presidency to Senate to House to, to local yeah. politics going forward, then what is that? So if people say to you, OK, then what is the Latino vote in 2020? And did President Trump move the needle on it? What do you say? He moved it in a couple of places. I mean, he moved it in Texas. I mean, one of the things that we need to look at Texas, if you look at the border region, Donald Trump did better. He got more votes in the border region. A lot of lot of reasons why. One of them is that, you know, border enforcement is an industry. It's a job market. And um, it offers economic opportunities to a lot of Latinos, a lot of who live in, in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, it's also lack of investment by Democrats, not only in Texas, but in places like in Florida. There's a lot of, you know, I was getting a lot of messages from senior political operatives who, who, who work Florida, who are Puerto Rican, who said, Democrats didn't show up for the Puerto Rican vote. They didn't want to win it. So I think, you know, when you have, uh, you know, a president that, that, that was targeting it, I mean, it was targeting Florida. You look at the, 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 the vote on the border in Texas. Democrats have a lot of soul searching to do when it, if they really want to think that they want, if they ever want to win over Texas. Yeah. Um, it was an illusion. It was an illusion. I, you know, even though, here's the thing. This is what I'll say. The Latino voter turnout nationally and, and statewide has gone up. It, you know, it, indication, it continues to, th- to trend up. We're talking 14, 15 million. Who knows what the final number will be? Yeah. But it, this notion of like Latino voters becoming the saviors of the Democratic Party, it doesn't work that way. I mean, historically speaking, a third of Latino voters, and we're talking all the way to yeah. Richard Nixon, um, have voted Republican. And Republicans know how to get the, the Latino voters that they need and, and take the case of Florida. The last thing I'll say, I am looking right. at, a, at a state like we gotta go. Pennsylvania. Yep. Pennsylvania, we go. look for Pennsylvania with Latinos. Pennsylvania, all right, what, what's your point about that though, Julio? They're gonna swing oh, it yeah, which way? Yeah, yeah, it, I think when you look at the exit polling with Pennsylvania, 72%, the national exit polling, 72% of Latino voters, mostly Puerto Rican and Dominican, tied to New York City, Eastern, Eastern Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, they're Got playing it. a role um, that I, I think if, if it does turn blue, Latinos will play a role in Pennsylvania as well. Fascinating. And again, right now, so I think the Republican Party counting on Latinos to vote for being their savior. I appreciate it very much. Julia Ricardo Varela uh, with some analysis for us on what happened last night. Let's get to Kate Rooney for a market flash. Now, what's going on, Kate? Hey, Kelly, big moves in the payment stocks here. Take a look at PayPal and Square. Square is up 7%. PayPal is up about 6% amid this election uncertainty. One big reason here, the tailwinds that have helped these companies, think of ca- digital payments, the ditching of cash by a lot of consumers. Those don't have a lot to do with the outcome of the election. So a lot of investors sort of fleeing to some of those higher growth payments names. We also have uh, some new hope of a stimulus package with Mitch McConnell's comments a bit earlier. That's boosting some of the other payments companies. You've got MasterCard up about 5%. Visa's also getting a boost up about 4%. Of course, uh, any hope of more stimulus and uh, a boost to consumer payments helping the payments company here. Kelly, back to you. Good point, Kate. Thank you very much, Kate Rooney. Coming up, ballot provisions are giving gaming stocks a boost today as they have several states legalizing sports betting. We'll get a check on the big movers. But first, infrastructure names taking it on the chin today. We'll talk about what's driving that action coming up on The Exchange. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Let's get a check on markets about half past the hour. The Dow's up 744 points, and believe it or not, that's about 100 point, points off the highs. 2.7% gain. It's also the underperformer. The S&P's up 3.2% right now. The Nasdaq up four and a quarter, or 474 points. Stocks are jumping, but bond yields are slumping. The 10-year hitting a two-week low today. Big reversal from what we saw overnight. Got as high as about 94 basis points. We're back at around 77 at the moment. Across sectors, healthcare is the leadership. Communication services and technology also big leaders today. Healthcare is up 5.6% as a sector. Materials remain the only sector in the red right now. We'll have more on that in a bit. Let's get to Sue Herrera for our CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says it will take some time to finish counting all the votes. And he expects with both sides, in his words, quote, lawyering up, end quote, the courts will be involved. As for President Trump's claim that he won? Claiming you win the election is different from finishing the counting. And what we're going to see here in the next few days, both in the Senate races and in the presidential race, is each state will ultimately get to a final outcome. The San Francisco 49ers are closing their team facility today after a player tested positive for COVID. As of now, their game tomorrow night with the Green Bay Packers, who also had a a player test positive on Monday, is still on. And ESPN reports the NFL's competition committee is expected to propose expanding the playoffs from 14 to 16 teams if games have to be canceled. You're up to date, Kelly. Busy Newsday once again. Back to you. Very much so. Sue, thank you. Sue Herrera back at headquarters. Still ahead on the exchange, major indices are staging a massive rally as we await the election results. But it's a tug of war between two sectors in particular. Industrial and material names are sinking today. Healthcare stocks are surging. Take a look at the Dow 30. United Health is up 12%. Cats down 5%. We'll dig into both coming up. Welcome back. We don't know the outcome for president yet, but we do know a lot about what Congress will and won't look like. And healthcare stocks are soaring as a result today. Bertha Coombs joins me now with more. Bertha. 
That's right, Kelly. A blue wave seems to be off the table. And for investors, a divided Congress reduces the risk of a major health care policy upheaval, be it the Democrats' public option plan or the potential for major legislation on drug pricing, which has failed to materialize despite bipartisan support in Congress. Drug makers among the biggest gainers today, with the FDA saying that it has enough data to support Biogen and Lilly's Alzheimer's drug. But we're also seeing double-digit gains for health insurers today, the strongest performance since last March. Cigna now up 25% this week ahead of its earnings tomorrow. Ben Isger, who heads PwC's Health Research Institute, says regardless of who wins the White House, a divided Congress now effectively means that most regulatory change will be incremental rather than wholesale, which is a relief at a time when the healthcare industry is in the thick of the pandemic. Hospitals today not getting as much of a lift. They will still face pricing pressures as more people lose employer coverage due to unemployment and potentially switch to plans with lower reimbursement rates. Capitol Street Managing Director Epsita Smolinski says if the uncertainty continues, though, over the fate of this race, investors could become more circumspect and we could see some of this bullishness kind of fade. Kelly. Fair enough. Bertha, thank you very much. Bertha Coombs. For more, let's bring in Les Funlider. He's a healthcare portfolio manager at E-Squared Capital Management. And Ana Gupta is principal at AG Health Advisors. Great to have you both here. Les, for people who look at this one-day gain and think, holy cow, is, is this sustainable? I mean, are these stocks a buy from here? Well, I, I think they are. Uh, the fundamentals, which what we really care about, uh, are, are very, very good for the insurers. What we have here is obviously more of an absence of a negative. Uh, the worst case is now off the table, regardless of who wins, just given what we know for insurers. So uh, I'd say uh, maybe you wouldn't want to chase them today. But as, as far as long-term potential, uh, I think these uh, companies are in very good shape. I'm talking about the insurers. And, um, you know, now the, the macro risk is, uh, at a, is minimized if not altogether uh, eliminated. Anna, when's the last time we saw a name like United Healthcare rising 11%? I think Cigna and Aetna, I mean, we're talking almost 15% gains. Does that surprise you? It's more than I would have expected, but I do believe, as Les just said, that there was a, a significant amount of risk that was priced in from a possible public option, which is a path, I think, in investors' minds a single payer and then names like Cigna where they have a very significant pharmacy benefits manager um, under the Umbrella Express scripts and there was worry about drug pricing as uh, Bertha said. You know, all that being said, uh, I agree with, uh, with Les that at least for United and Humana, it's right now a relief rally around the risk that of the downside being off the table, but what's not priced in is the growth story um, around Medicare Advantage. Um, around United, which has a very strong technology platform, and uh, Humana, which has invested a lot in home-based care and, and home health, and, and it's really playing well in the pandemic. Anna, what about the Supreme Court? Uh, could that be a headwind or a tailwind here? It's not a headwind for the names that have really rallied today. It's, uh, it is a, a headwind for Centene and Molina, and to some degree for the hospital stocks as well, but they're clearly not... Uh, showing the gains that the, the other names have seen. So I would expect that around November 10th uh, with the hearing, 
that the names like um, the hospital names, Tenet, um, Health HCA, Centene Molina might see some, some pressure. And Les, what would your recommendations be for investors in this space who, you know, are thinking maybe healthcare is a good place to be that's a little bit kind of, you know, largely speaking off the radar? Um, you know, people have said for months now it's it's one of the sectors that they think could benefit. Um, it's just that I don't think anyone expected quite this kind of pop today. Yes, right. I well, agree. I, I did not expect the, that, you know, sorry, there was less, that much was priced in, but um, there should be upside uh, in general for, for healthcare from here. Oh, so I was going to chime in. We're long, uh, you know, in addition to the insurers, um, we'd be looking at things like life science tools, uh, the 10Xs and the twists of the world, uh, which are really off the radar, but will benefit from increased science uh, that we'll see under, say, a Biden or at least a more split Congress. And then, um, you know, by and large, the medical devices seem to be more or less immune from a lot of this macro stuff. So things, companies like Stryker and Boston Scientific on the large side and uh, Shockwave on the small side uh, would, would also benefit. But in general, it's, it's again, in the absence of really radical or very, uh, I say, divergent uh, approach to healthcare, which takes the risk off and then we can just focus on the fundamentals. And by and large, yeah. the fundamentals in healthcare have been very good. Yeah, and people have been saying that, but that point is made uh, quite loudly today. Les Funlider, Anna Gupta, thank you both for joining us to talk about these moves. We have some breaking news on the Senate. Meanwhile, let's get to Elon Moy with the details. Elon? And Kelly, GOP Senator Susan Collins says that her Democratic challenger, Sarah Gideon, has now called to concede the race, which means that Collins would hold on to her Senate seat in Maine. Collins said that Gideon was gracious in their phone call after what had been a hard-fought and at times bitter campaign. The upshot here is that this means that the pathway for Democrats to take control of the Senate has narrowed significantly. They still need to flip three Republican seats. Collins saying now that hers won't be one of them. Kelly. All right, Elon, thank you, Elon Moy. The Nasdaq is riding high on a monster rally today, and that's despite the fact that we still don't know the outcome of the presidential race. But big tech is all up big, with Facebook in the lead soaring nearly 8%. Are investors right to bet that no blue wave means no major tech regulation coming? Joining me now is Paul Hickey. He's the co-founder of Bespoke Investment Group. Paul, it's good to have you. Uh, what do you make of Facebook's move? You know, I think uh, Facebook and big tech in general is, uh, you know, a few factors. The first is uh, you're less likely to see uh, regulation of the of the group under a Biden presidency. Not that there was really all that much of a threat under a Trump presidency. It's a lot more bark than bite. But second, secondly, I think what you're going to you have to take into account is that there's no real chance at the Republican tax cuts getting repealed now that you have the Senate uh, likely in control of um, the Republican Party. So that's another factor. And then third, uh, I think what you're going to see is is if you have a Republican Senate, uh, they're less they're more likely to be tight with the purse strings uh, for any sort of stimulus bill that Biden wants. And uh, that what that's going to do is that's going to uh, crimp growth in the short term a little bit here and make and make growth stocks that have growth more dear and, and scarcer. And stocks like Facebook and these big tech stocks, which are showing growth and consistent growth, uh, look more attractive in that light. 
Yeah. I know people also talked about, you know, the prospect of selling these winners uh, if it were like a blue wave with the potential of big tax uh, hikes coming and, and that sort of thing. Maybe that's off the table. And also on the regulatory front. I mean, is, are those the right conclusions to draw that this version of the Senate will be, you know, potentially less uh, impactful to big tech than a stronger blue wave would have been? I, I think, I, th- I mean, if you saw a Democratic control of the Senate, you're more likely to see those uh, th- those tax cuts uh, that the Republicans uh, passed in the last administration repealed. And like you said, people are going to sell to uh, avoid the increased capital gains. But, uh, you know, I, I think overall what we're looking at here is that um, this, uh, this the, you know, we, we look back at the market here and we're focusing on uh, the last time we saw uncertainty, which was 2000. Um, and there's, there's fears uh, that the uncertainty caused by that period had market weakness. But I think when you look back at 2000, there were other factors at play. We already saw a, a downtrend in the market environment, which was, uh, you know, the tech sector and the tech bubble had already burst at that point. So I think the uncertainty of the election yeah. wasn't really the yeah. factor behind the 2000 weakness in late December. Paul, given what we know about Congress at this point, do you think the market actually cares who wins the presidency? So I, I think this is a lot. Of, I mean, we spend we we've spent months talking about what's best for the uh, the market, what kind of uh, political scenario. But I think, you know, we're seeing, again, we're seeing uncertainty about the election, the market's rallying. Um, and then we're also seeing other factors, if you look back historically, that say Washington's impact on the market may be overstated. If you look back at, uh, since, 1900, since 1900, Republican presidents, when they're first elected to the next president is elected, so from the election day to election day, the median return of the, S- of the Dow is 6.6%. For Democrats, median performance under that same measurement is 6.6%. So they're the exact same. (laughs) Secondly, uh, you look at President Trump and you look at President Obama, we've mentioned this in the past, the two, even if you wanted to make up characters, couldn't be more opposite than each other in terms of their political ideology, uh, their their approach to things, even their diets. You know, people make fun of Obama for eating arugula and they make fun of Trump for eating McDonald's. So they're complete opposites. But yet you look at the market performance under uh, each president. You saw under Obama, tech and consumer discretionary, the best performing sectors. Under President Trump, best performing sectors, tech and consumer discretionary. You see energy, the worst performing sector under President Trump, also the worst performing sector under President Obama. And with all the sectors that you look at, you see that with the exception of, you look at all the sectors under President Obama, and you look at their ranking in performance, and then you compare them to President Trump, and there's no difference of more than two positions in their ranking. So the sector performance under each president has been very similar, and it just goes to show, I think, that there's bigger impacts on the market than who we elect in Washington. Yeah. That's fascinating. You always uh, join us with those kinds of stats, Paul. We appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. Paul Hickey from Bespoke talking about the surprising similarities uh, between the two parties. Coming up, materials are sitting out of today's huge rally, though. We're going to break down exactly why when we come right back. Stay with us on The Exchange.
Welcome back. Some of the market's best performers over the past month are now its worst performers today. Names like Vulcan and Martin Marietta down 10% this morning before pairing those declines, while Caterpillar is the worst name in the Dow still. Seema Modi is here with a look at why. Seema? Kelly, Wall Street pricing in the prospect of a divided government and a Republican-controlled Senate. The working assumption is that this scenario would result in a smaller stimulus package and limited infrastructure funding. Now, this is important because going into the election, investors bid up construction and industrial companies on hopes that a blue wave would push forth a massive infrastructure bill to repair bridges and roads and highways. Caterpillar seen as the biggest beneficiary. It's rallied about 20% over the past three months, and it's currently the biggest laggard on the Dow right now. Another trend that we've seen during the pandemic is businesses renting versus buying heavy equipment. The poster child of this trend, United Rentals, lower by around 9% in today's trade. Now, that said, strategists at Jeffrey say there would still be the potential for a longer-term infrastructure package with a bipartisan bill currently in the Senate, which would increase federal highway funding by 28%, but that timeline is still certainly murky and a lot of details need to be clarified on that front but that's certainly why the makeup of the senate um certainly very important when it comes to the topic of infrastructure kelly yeah there's infrastructure sema and just that general reflation kind of macro trade and you know how's the travel names doing today well, travel will definitely be a big focus, Kelly. We have Expedia earnings after the bell, Marriott, the world's uh, largest hotel operator, reporting earnings on Friday. So the conversation will certainly pivot to the consumer, how they're willing to spend their money ahead of the Thanksgiving season uh, as we get closer to that holiday. Yeah, and how those industries will fare under this new administration, whatever that is right. shaping up to look like. Seema, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Seema Modi. That does it for us on the exchange today, but stick around for Power Lunch. With President Trump threatening to go to the Supreme Court to settle the election, a constitutional law expert will lay out the possibilities. I'll join Tyler Matheson for that right after this quick break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.